The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Several years ago, a friend of mine that I went to seminary with, I found out, wrote a book. And in his book, he describes a story that relates very well to what we're talking about today. Uh, His name is Kevin Meyer. Kevin He's a pastor, and he's now an adjunct professor at Denver Seminary here. But he's talking about his son, Kyle. And his son, Kyle, had mastered riding a bike with training wheels. But then he wanted to attempt to learn how to ride a bike without training wheels. So his daddy took him out, and and he he learned as a five-year-old how to ride that bike. And pretty soon, he's motoring all around the, the little neighborhood and... And Kevin says, then all of a sudden, or Keith, excuse me, Keith says, you know, I noticed that Kyle started looking a little different. He had this look on his face like he was a little nervous. He wasn't too sure of himself. And all of a sudden, he just runs into the curb, flies over the handlebars, and and his dad comes running over, and he says, you didn't teach me how to stop. And uh, Keith says, you know, my life looked a lot like Kyle's first bike ride. Hooked on a fast pace of life, I got dangerously out of control. It took a crash to help me slow down and learn to stop. There is a place for rest. There's a place to relax. There's a place to get away. And we're going to see that in the story in Mark this morning. There also is the call to be diligent followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm turning to Mark chapter 1, and uh, the sermon title is The End of a Long Day. And this month, we're going to be looking at some miracles. We're going to look at some praying. And um, this is the end of one day. So I'm going to read the text. This all happened on one day as Mark is introducing the ministry of Jesus Christ. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed that they were asking each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons... But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. 
Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us today to feed our souls upon the truth of your word. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Thank you that these words are not just historically accurate. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And we cry out to you, O Spirit, illuminate us. Teach us from your word today practical lessons for living our lives to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in this story, what lessons does Jesus teach us about how to live a life that glorifies God? First lesson, be willing to receive hospitality. Wow. As soon as they left the synagogue, there was the tradition that they served a meal at noon. Many of you believe in that tradition. I know you do. You t keep a watch on the clock for me. I know. But they served a meal at noon. And um, it appears that that's why they went to Andrew and Peter's home. The movement is very swift. I find this very interesting in Mark that every time he tells a story, things are moving along very quickly. And they went to Peter's house. And this is what it looks like today. There you go. Um, we're convinced that this is Peter's house in Capernaum. Um, and let me read for you the report that came out in October of 2022. Although slightly larger than most, the house was simple, with coarse walls and a roof of earth and straw. Like most early Roman period homes, it consisted of a few small rooms clustered around one open court or two open courtyards. Despite later proving to be one of the most exciting biblical archaeological discoveries, the house appeared quite ordinary. According to the excavators, however, it is what happened to the house after the middle of the first century AD that marked it as exceptional and most likely the house of Peter, the home of Jesus in Capernaum. They built a church on it, see? The first early Christians built a church on, on the foundation of this home, and so that's why I believe this really is the house of Peter. Now, Jesus brought James and John too, so there's a whole entourage of people who are coming to the house, and as we said, most likely it was a Sabbath meal. Now, hospitality is a huge part of the cultural expectations of the first century. It's still true today in that region of the world. Jesus demonstrates his willingness to receive hospitality. If you remember the story of the woman at the well, how did that conversation start? Jesus said to the woman, can you give me a drink? So Jesus is willing to receive hospitality. Often it's these kinds of exchanges that starts a relationship. And sometimes we are on the receiving end and Jesus was willing 
to do that. Hospitality is commanded. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality in the book of Romans. In 1 Peter, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Yeah, we all chuckle at that one. After three days, the guest starts to stink. Anyway, um... We can't be hospitable if people won't receive it. I mean, that's just basic. Listen, have you ever had the awkward experience? I know I have. I noticed uh, quite a long time ago that I look better with a smile. So you smile at people, and when they don't smile back, that is really awkward. Like, that's the first step of hospitality sometimes, right? You just smile. Like, what are you up to? You know, like, what would you do, right? But we must receive hospitality. And this is an important lesson. It really is. What makes us so unwilling? Pride. We're like the little two-year-old. I can do it myself. I don't need your help. But it's not wrong to receive hospitality. And what a great lesson that is. And here's our Lord, the Almighty One, the Savior, Receiving hospitality. When he sends his disciples out, he tells them the same thing, doesn't he? To receive hospitality. So that's, a, that's an important lesson. Secondly, be compassionate to others. Simon's mother-in-law is in bed. And again, the story is moving quickly. What I love about the story is they tell Jesus about the sick woman. They're learning how to depend on him. They're learning how to take everything to him first. And uh, this miracle is quite different than the one we looked at last week because that one took place in the synagogue, a very public place. This one takes place private. Jesus can work miracles in private or in public, right? Amen. I mean, that, that's obvious. And, and Jesus' response to this woman breaks all the pharisaical rules. You're not supposed to touch sick people. Sounds like some other rules I've heard about. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh, she had a fever. The ancients called it a fire. And of course, often when we get sick, we have a fever, and many sicknesses are related. Now, William Barclay, in his commentary, goes into a little discussion of what the Talmud, that's the rabbi's rules for the Old Testament, the Talmud, said about how to get rid of a fever. And I almost chuckled when I read this. So what you're supposed to do if you have a fever is take an iron knife and tie a thorn bush around it with hair. Then you're, the first day they recite Exodus 3, 2 to 3. This is the scene when uh, Moses meets the Lord in the burning bush. On the second day, you quote 3 and verse 4. And on the third day, you quote 3 and verse 5. And then it's followed by a magical formula, and boom, you're healthy. Sounds like an infomercial, <laughs> right? Jesus did none of that. Just like we saw last week with the exorcism of the demon, he has the authority to take care of it. In Luke, it says he rebuked the fever. But in Mark, it just says he touched her, helped her get up. And what a blessing. What a blessing. He has authority over illness. Do you remember when John the Baptist is in prison and he starts asking the question, is, this, is Jesus really the Messiah? <laughs> and he sends his disciples to them. And they ask Jesus, 
Are you really the Messiah? And he says, well, what have you been watching? You've been watching the blind get sight. You've been watching the deaf who can hear. You've been watching people who are sick. You've been watching demons exercised. Go tell John that. Because that's what had been predicted about the Messiah. This reveals who he is. These demonstrations of his power. And it is beautiful that the fever left her immediately. And then what did she do? She got up to serve. It's the same verb used of Martha in the story of Mary and Martha. Now, the body of Christ needs Marys and Marthas, right? I'm married to a Martha, so I understand this. When stuff got to get done, get it done, right? She was serving. She waited on them. How beautiful. Now, I want to ask you, do you take your illnesses to Jesus? If you're not feeling well, do you run to him first? If you have friends or family who are ill, do you take them to Jesus? Why not? Why wouldn't we do that? Now, you might go to the doctor later, you might go to the ER, whatever, but don't leave Jesus out because he's the great physician. Ultimately, all healing, whether it comes by medicine or any other way, it comes from him, right? He, we, we breathe because he has given us life. And it only makes sense that we would do this. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. What a blessing. Now, sometimes people die. We prayed fervently for Eduardo, but God took him home. But for a believer to go into the presence of the Lord forever, <laughs> that's the ultimate healing, is it not? To be in a glorified, resurrected body that will never wear out, never get sick again, no more medicine, hallelujah. But I'm not minimizing the grief of death, okay? But I'm just saying we have the right and we should take those who are ill to the Lord Jesus. Amen. That's the second lesson. Be compassionate to others. Jesus was. How about this? Be available to everyone that evening after sunset. Why after sunset? Why does Mark tell us it was after sunset? Sabbath was over. Sabbath ends at sunset. So they don't want to get in trouble with those who said you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. Which again, that comes out earlier or later. It didn't happen on this day, but it happens later. The people brought to Jesus all, all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Now, I don't know if Mark is speaking in hyperbole here or not. I mean, it's just the demonstration that if they're all coming to this house, we already heard a description of it, there must be overflow in the streets, right? That seems to be. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. There's a very interesting part, and we'll see this again and again. But what I wanted to say before we get to that is this. If Jesus in your house is in your house, your house is a place of ministry. Do you get that? One of our college students, I heard this just recently, moved into a rough neighborhood where he's going to college with a friend, and it's a rough neighborhood, and their intention is to minister to their neighbors. If Jesus is in a house, miracles can happen. 
Peter's little house becomes the center of ministry in that city. Jesus' popularity is growing, of course. When it says they gather together, it's the verb for the noun synagogue. <laughs> so it's almost like Peter's house becomes the new synagogue. And actually, according to the archaeology, it wasn't very far down the street. But he wouldn't let the demons speak. Around the turn of the century, 1901, this German theologian, Lutheran, wrote a book called The Messianic Secret. He contended that Jesus really didn't declare himself to be Messiah. That that's what Mark added. Poor guy. I don't know why he wasted his time writing a book. There's everything in this gospel that about Jesus the Messiah. Everything written. He said at the very first verse, I'm going to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And so later in the book, when we get to chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. He actually asked, what about y'all? Okay. Who do you say I am? And of course, Peter answered. Remember, Peter told Mark this story. That's how Mark learned about it. Because Peter himself told the story. You are the Messiah. There it is. Not only Jesus is declaring himself to be Messiah, his disciples and apostles are declaring him to be the Messiah. So the poor deluded Lutheran. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. One of the reasons perhaps why he kept it a secret was because he knew that kind of message was going to cause a lot of backlash. He didn't want the demons announcing it. They don't have any right to announce this good news. Really. And he waited and he waited until the proper time, until the time God said, now I will glorify my son. Hmm. Be available to everyone. This is what Jesus did. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. The NAS says, not wise in your own estimation. Be willing to serve others. I had a friend told me this years ago. Minister to the people God puts in front of you. So when you get your hair cut, minister to the barber. Right, Randy? We go to the same barber, you know. That poor girl doesn't have a chance with us praying for her, right? Yeah, amen. Um, anyway, be available. Be available. That's what Jesus did. Minister to the people God puts in front of you. Very famous Scottish preacher. His name was Robert Murray McShane. And McShane wrote with such clarity. He, he was a gifted, gifted man. But he was only 30 years old when he died. And from his deathbed, 
he said this to a friend. God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I killed the horse, and now I cannot deliver the message. The horse was his own body. He worked so hard that he damaged his own body. Some of us need to learn that it's okay to take some rest and be careful not to kill the horse. There's something to be said about that. But Jesus, you know, this is the end of a long day, and he's still available. He's still relying on God's power to minister to the people that show up at the door of the house. Be faithful in prayer. Very early in the morning. When? Very early. While it was still dark, that means before sunrise, Jesus got up. <laughs> you know what's great about that verb? In Acts, it's used for the resurrection. Now I'm laughing because I'm thinking some mornings I need a resurrection, right? To get out of bed. He got up. It was early. He got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The word solitary is the same word that was used earlier of the wilderness. He went to a place where he could commune with his father. He prayed. He has the habit of praying. Luke is actually the gospel writer that tells us the most about Jesus' prayer life. Mark only mentions it a few times. In chapter 6, Jesus is up on a mountain praying while the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee in a little boat. And we'll get to that story. But he takes the time to stay connected with his father. This is the Son of God. <laughs> Who's in perfect relationship with the Father and the Son. What did Jesus advise about praying? Remember the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you don't need a lot of words. You don't need to do all that. Where should you go? To your closet and shut the door. <laughs> wow. Get all the distractions out. Don't you love that movie, The War Room, where the woman is praying in the closet? And she's asking God in secret to do things, and God's answering. And see, that's the beauty of it. Isn't it wonderful to be praying about something, you didn't tell anybody, and then you see the answer, you're like, "Woo! praise God. He did it. There's no other explanation for it. And that's what Jesus advised. Jesus himself prayed throughout his whole life during the days of Jesus' life on earth. Hebrews 5, 7. He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. That's not just the Garden of Gethsemane. That happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, but it happened at other times as well to the one who could save him from death. You mean Jesus struggled with his possibility of death? Evidently. You ever struggle like that? We all do. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus prayed his way through his sufferings. He was faithful in prayer. And how we need to be faithful in prayer. If, if the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful in prayer, how much more should we be? S.D. Gordon, who founded Gordon Theological Seminary in Massachusetts, wrote this. How much prayer meant to Jesus? It was not only his regular habit, but his resort in every emergency, however slight or serious. When perplexed, he prayed. When hard-pressed by work, he prayed. 
When hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer. He chose his associates and received his messages upon his knees. If tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in body or wearied in spirit, he had recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. Prayer brought him unmeasured power at the beginning and kept the flow unbroken and undiminished. There was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity, no temptation that would not yield to prayer. I agree with him. I think he's very wise in those words. I like the words of D.L. Moody. If you have so much business to attend to that you have no time to pray, depend upon it. You have more business on hand than God ever intended you should have. <laughs> Thank you, D.L. Moody. Thank you. Be faithful in prayer. Funny you ask about barbers, Randy. Um, <clears throat> Luther's barber asked him about prayer. And Luther wrote a classic description of his own practices in prayer to his barber. His name was Peter. I will tell you as best I can what I do personally when I pray. May our dear Lord grant you and everybody to do it better than I. Amen, he said. It is a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last at night. Luther practiced three hours of prayer in the morning when he got up. Guard yourself carefully against those false, deluding ideas which tell you, wait a little while, I will pray in an hour, first I must attend to this or that. Such thoughts get you away from prayer into other affairs which so hold your attention and involve you that nothing comes of prayer for that day. <laughs> it may be, it may well be that you may have some tasks which are as good or better than prayer especially in an emergency, but still, pray. Pray. I want to encourage you to pray. I recently, as the month turned over, said, Lord, I need to get back to journaling. For me, that's a big help. It, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. So I read some scripture, I write down a few thoughts about the scripture, and trying to keep a prayer list so that I can have a praise list. <laughs> if you have a prayer list, it becomes a praise list. You know? And these disciplines, these habits, can really cultivate your richness in your relationship with God. And I don't want it to become mechanical, and I wouldn't teach that, but I'm just saying, whatever works for you, do it. Because you can read about prayer, you can study prayer, but the best thing to do, pray. <laughs> okay, that's convicted enough. Let's move on. Here's the last one. Oh, before we do, our verse for the year said pray continually. We see it on the wall every week we walk into the lobby. Be a servant, not a celebrity. In some ways, this might be the most important of the lessons. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, you know what that means? They exclaimed, all right? They, they, they really, they, everyone is looking for you. You left a big crowd back there. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages. Remember, the population in that day in Galilee wasn't that high. He wasn't seeking crowds. He was seeking to do the will of the Father. 
Remember, he is the servant on the mission. And so I can preach there also. That's why he wanted to go. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching there in their synagogues and driving out demons. He kept to the schedule God called him to keep. And that wasn't always where it was the most popular. Remember the verse we said characterizes the whole gospel. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's dangerous to seek popularity. Somebody said to me years ago, if you live on the applause of others, you will die on their criticism. So honor God. Do what God wants you to do. Jesus shows me the example. It's not wrong to be popular, but it may lead to compromise. And Jesus wasn't going to do that. Well, I came from Methodist roots. William Booth was a Methodist. He founded the Salvation Army. This guy was amazing. When he was 20 years old, obviously that's not a picture of when he was 20. It is what he wrote down. I will rise every morning sufficiently early and have a few minutes, not less than five, in private prayer. Two, avoid all the babbling and idle talking in which I have lately so sinfully indulged. Endeavor to conduct myself as a humble, meek, and zealous follower of the bleeding lamb, and by serious conversation and warning, endeavor to lead others to think of their immortal souls. Read no less than four chapters of God's word every day. Strive to live closer to God and to seek after his holiness of heart and leave providential events with God. Read this over every day, or at least twice a week. God help me, enable me to cultivate a spirit of self-denial and to yield myself as a prisoner of love to the redeemer of the world. I don't know how God works it out for you, but he will work it out. And I want to ask you a question. What of the five lessons that we looked at today spoke to you the most? Was it the matter of prayer? Was it the matter of receiving hospitality? Uh, was it about being available to other people? Uh, maybe it was about being a servant and not seeking to be a celebrity. Whatever it is, as Nike says so well, just do it. <laughs> do what the Spirit is leading you to do and give all the glory to God. Dear Lord, thank you for this very practical piece of scripture today. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us not how just to glorify God, but how to fish for others. Yes, Jesus, you were modeling for them what to do, and every one of these lessons applies to being faithful and sharing the good news with others. So I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, that what you will teach us, we will remember and practice this week. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.